Our scripture lesson this morning is taken from the book of Judges, Judges chapter 2, beginning at verse 6, page 277, page 277 in the Pew Bible, Judges chapter 2, beginning at verse 6, and reading through chapter 3, verse 6. Judges, Judges 2, verse 6, And when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the land. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elder who outlived Joshua, who had seen the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath Harris in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gaash. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtoreth. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. So he delivered them into the hands of plunderers who despoiled them and he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity, as the Lord had said and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were greatly distressed. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them, yet they would not listen to their judges but they played the harlot with other gods and bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do so. And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers by following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not cease from their own doing, nor from their stubborn way. Then the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he said, because this nation has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and has not heeded my voice, I also will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died so that through them I may test Israel, whether they will keep the ways of the Lord to walk in them as their fathers kept them or not. Therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them out immediately, nor did he deliver them into the hand of Joshua. Now these are the nations which the Lord left that he might test Israel by them, that is all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. This was only so that the generations of the children of Israel might be taught to know war, at least those who had not formerly known it. Namely, five lords of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, and the Hivites who dwelt at Mount Lebanon, from Mount Baal, Hermon, to 
the entrance of Hamath. And they were left that he might test Israel by them to know whether they would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. Thus the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons and served their gods. Thus far the reading of God's word. Beloved of the Lord, as I have mentioned uh, recently, the book of Judges has two introductions. The first introduction, which begins in chapter 1, verse 1, is a uh, historical narrative of events following after the death of Joshua. It describes Israel's attempt to secure their inheritance and drive out or destroy the Canaanites that were still in the land after Joshua's many successful battles and after Joshua had died. The first introduction shows that they were led by the royal tribe of Judah, who began well, but then their faith began to falter. When the leader's faith failed, so did the other tribes fail. The first introduction is a a sad history of Israel making covenants, mutual non-aggression treaties, as it were, with the Canaanites, saying, in effect, if you don't try to kill me, I won't try to kill you. Let's see if we can live together. And it resulted in Israel living side by side with pagans and pagan worship continuing in the land that God had said, my name will be placed in that land and this land will be a holy land. This will be uh, where I dwell in the midst of my people. But now in many of the towns and villages and cities, there are pagan altars and pagan worship. Uh, The first introduction concludes with God appearing in judgment to that generation, uh, judging them harshly. Uh, They took the admonition to heart and humbled their hearts and repented of their sin and offered atoning sacrifices and they were forgiven. But now today we want to look at the second introduction which begins in chapter two, verse six, which is a uh, thematic introduction. It uh, gives us an overview of much of the rest of the book uh, after the first generation had died. It does not give us a lot of historical data other than to describe in general a cycle that is repeated over and over again, a cycle of Israel falling away into apostasy, followed by God angrily um, punishing them or uh, disciplining them. Uh, with harsh treatment from the pagan people around them. Uh, Israel groaning under that oppression, God hearing their groans and coming, uh, taking pity on them and sending a judge, a judge who delivered them and saved them. And uh, they lived at peace for a time, but then when the judge died, uh, they reverted back to their old ways and the cycle is repeated again and again. The second uh, introduction gives us information that helps us understand why this repeated cycle of apostasy kept on taking place. And uh, it describes failures. Uh, The failure of the first generation, which is partially responsible for this cycle, and the failure of subsequent generations, which is definitely uh, the uh, 
cause of this uh, uh, repeated cycle. So let's look first at the, uh, the failure of the first generation. That is, those uh, people who came with Joshua, who had seen the great wonders of God in Egypt and had uh, experienced God's presence in the 40 years in the wilderness and had uh, eaten the manna and uh, seen uh, water from the rock and all those uh, sorts of things. Uh, that, this generation uh, failed. Uh, we've seen already that they, they failed in that their faith uh, faltered when they went to battle. They uh, saw 900 uh, iron chariots and thought, this is too much for us, we can't handle it, and they uh, didn't trust God and they lost the battle. But um, they especially failed in that they did not pass on to the next generation uh, the knowledge of who God is and what he had done. They were knowledgeable of who God is and what he had done, but they did not pass that on to the next generation. There arose a generation who did not know the Lord. Uh, we read uh, in verse uh, 10, uh, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them that did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. And they didn't know it because the first generation had not passed on that knowledge to them. Now the covenant, as you know, was and is multi-generational. I will be a God to you and to your children after you. And because the covenant is multi-generational, multi it is incumbent upon one generation to instruct the next generation. That task both falls to parents and uh, in the Old Testament to the Levites, uh, which today would be uh, uh, the minister and the elders of the church. The uh, parents and the leadership of the church have a responsibility to instruct the next generation in the faith. Uh, we uh, look at the classic passage in Deuteronomy 6, uh, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Uh, passage goes on to describe more and more the duty of parents to constantly be instructing the children in who God is and what God has done for them. When they sit down at the Passover feast, uh, the youngest child was uh, prompted to ask, what does this mean? And uh, he would ask that, he'd be told he needs to ask that question so that uh, the father could then say what all this means uh, about uh, the history of God bringing us out of bondage and uh, into the promised land. But not just parents, uh, the Levites also. In Leviticus 10, verse 11, uh, God says to the Levites, you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. And again in Malachi 2, verse 7, it says, for the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Well, Israel failed, that first generation failed in passing on the knowledge. Now we scratch our heads and say, why? What happened here? Why didn't they do this? Why did a whole generation grow up without knowing who God is and what he had done? 
Well, I think the answer is uh, two words, uh, materialism and pluralism. Materialism and pluralism. What do I mean by that? Well, the first word of our text, chapter 2, verse 6, uh, gives us a clue of what's, what's going on here. It says, when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the land. Joshua dismissed them, and they went each to their inheritance to possess the land. Now, you can read more about this in the previous book, uh, Joshua, Joshua chapter 13. And in Joshua th chapter 13, God comes to Joshua and says, Joshua, you are old, which is God's way of saying, your work is almost done. And then he says, there's one more task I want you to do. And uh, I know that the work of conquering all the Canaanites isn't done yet, but don't worry about that. You're old. Somebody else is going to take care of that after you're dead. But before you die, there's one task I want you to do. I want you to divide the land among the various tribes. I want you to give each tribe their tribal inheritance. Describe the boundaries between uh, what belongs to Asher and Issachar and uh, uh, so forth. Uh, you, uh, you give each tribe their uh, allotment. And uh, so he did that. Uh, he divided up the land and he told everybody where their allotment was and then he dismissed them and they went to their inheritance. They went to see what it was that God had given them. And of course, what they found there was uh, houses already built as they had been promised, wells already dug as had been promised, uh, 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 vineyards already planted, uh, fig trees and olive trees uh, yielding their harvest. Everything that they had been uh, denied for the last 40 years in the wilderness, they didn't have any of these things. They were nomads living in tents in a, in a desert environment, uh, wondering where they were going to get water and how they were going to eat and so forth. Now they have this rich abundance. Now it's interesting that God says to Joshua, you know, before the land is completely cleansed of all the Canaanites whose uh, iniquity was full. They deserved to be driven out of the land. They deserved to be put to death because of their sins. Uh, before that task is done, I want you to send the people out, dismiss them, and let them see their inheritance. And of course, they all understood that when they were dismissed, there was still work to do in terms of driving out the Canaanites. And we, we know that they understood that because in chapter 1 of the book of Judges, it says, now after the deaths of Joshua, the people said, who's going to lead us in fighting against the Canaanites? They knew they had to do that yet, but they're doing it now after having seen their inheritance. And that changed everything. That changed everything. You see, God was, was testing them, testing them to see if they would continue to fight the Lord's battle with singleness of heart, focusing on doing the Lord's will and serving Him as He commands, or whether they would be distracted now by houses and, and wells and fig trees and olive trees and pasture land and uh, all kinds of wonderful uh, earthly temporal things that, that we all love and, and want. And the sad truth is that these material things distracted them 
from serving the Lord. Surprise, surprise. Uh, know anybody like that? Well, we're all like that. Uh, uh, that's, that's what happened. They were distracted by these material things and uh, were uh, no longer giving their whole heart to the work. They, they, they went back to the battle, but their heart wasn't in it. And the result of their heart not being in it was that they ended up with a lot of unbelieving neighbors. Uh, they didn't drive out all the people. They drove out some of them, but uh, still there were still many tribes uh, left. And it resulted in a pluralistic society. And what I mean by a pluralistic society? Well, a society made up of people of different faiths and, and different uh, worldviews and different ways of understanding everything. Uh, people who believed in God, the Israelites, and people who believed in false gods, the, the Canaanites. And pluralism says uh, we all have to live together. And since we all have to live together, we have to uh, not uh, hurt each other, not uh, put each other to death. They had made these uh, covenants, these non-aggression uh, pacts. You leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. I'll let you live if you let me live. And uh, uh, they created a society where uh, they attempted to get along, and, and the way to get along is to downplay your differences. It's much like uh, liberal Protestants and uh, secular humanists today, today that say, you know, we have to coexist. You, you know the bumper sticker that says coexist that's made up of uh, symbols of all different uh, religions. And uh, coexistence means uh, uh, we respect each other's differences and uh, don't try to change each other, don't try to convert anybody, uh, just uh, love everybody. And love means uh, don't challenge them, uh, don't confront them, uh, don't try to change anybody, but just accept people the way they are. Well, that's not the definition, the biblical definition of love. Uh, loving your neighbor means wanting what's best for your neighbor. And what's best for your non-Christian neighbor is that they go to heaven when they die. And as long as they're non-Christians, that's not going to happen. And so the only way that you can truly love them is to confront them and uh, challenge their beliefs, uh, uh, build a relationship, uh, a servant relationship where you show that you're concerned about them and desirous of helping them and so that when you're uh, ready to uh, invite them to come to church with you, they're, they're predisposed to do that because they know that you're a, a kind and interested uh, person in them. Uh, but the Israelites on this occasion, loving their land, meant uh, they didn't love God the way they should. And uh, so uh, they ended up with this uh, pluralistic society. Now, uh, loving the land more than God and wanting to avoid conflict with neighbors caused two things to happen. The, uh, the parents were, were too busy building the kingdom uh, to take time to teach their children. You know the old, old story of uh, uh, busy, busy Christians and their rebellious children. Uh, it's especially uh, a plague upon uh, preachers and missionary kids uh, that um, 
Sometimes they, they turn out bad because uh, dad has no time for them. Dad has important work to do. He's, he's building the kingdom of God. He's building the church of Jesus Christ. There's, there's needy people out there, and they're all uh, demanding on his time, and he's serving the Lord, and there's no time for the kids, and the kids uh, are neglected. Uh, the same is true for sometimes for people who are uh, employers of others uh, or have important responsibilities uh, in the world. You know, I have an important job, and there are a lot of people depending upon me, and uh, there's just no time for family life, and the children are neglected. The other uh, result uh, was that the children never learned that God was at war with the world of sin and unbelief. They didn't hear the commands of the Lord. They didn't learn that God's enemies hate God's people. They didn't learn of the cruelty of Pharaoh and the Amalekites. They didn't hear that God drowned Pharaoh's army and cursed the Amalekites. They didn't hear that God commanded the Levites to kill their own brothers who had worshipped the golden calf and, and that God had destroyed a whole generation of Israelites in the wilderness for their unbelief. They didn't learn about the uh, seductiveness of the Midianites or the craftiness of the Gibeonites. They didn't learn about uh, how Aaron and Moab had refused them food and passage. Instead, they observed their parents living at peace with pagans and assumed that that's the way it was supposed to be. Now, of course, there's a lesson in this for us, for we too live in a pagan world. We need to remember the need to bring up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord to teach our children who God is and what he has done. And we need ourselves and to show our children that we are at war with the world of unbelief. We are at war with the world of unbelief. Now the weapons that we use are not the weapons of the world. Uh, our weapons are spiritual weapons, particularly the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which uh, means preaching the gospel lovingly and uh, faithfully to uh, uh, our children and uh, to the world. Parents and preachers have to uh, teach the younger generation the history of salvation from creation and the fall through all the Old Testament uh, revelations of the covenant of redemption to its fulfillment in Christ and his uh, promised return. Regarding the world, we need to uh, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and do battle with uh, unbelief uh, in our communities and throughout the world. We cannot be at peace with sin and unbelief. Our message is not convert or die. Our message is that we all deserve to die, but God in love, uh, love for a rebellious world, sent his son that whoever believes in him might not perish, but have everlasting life. Our message is to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you may know that your sins are forgiven and that you have the gift of eternal life through faith in Christ's name. Our God was and is a forgiving God. In the Old Testament, his forgiveness was limited mostly to one nation, only occasionally hinting that forgiveness was for the whole world and would be extended to other nations as well. But now that Christ has come into the world, the world uh, uh, 
and accomplish the, the work of salvation, uh, atoning for sin once and for all with a, an atonement sufficient to pay for the sins of the whole world and efficient in paying for all those he has chosen, we are commanded to go to the ends of the earth and proclaim the good news. Materialism, the love of the things of this world, and pluralism, trying to live at peace with uh, unbelief, uh, they were problems uh, in that uh, first generation, but, uh, and they remain such. You know, our situation is somewhat similar to theirs. They were ushered in to the promised land. They came into the promised land, which was coming into the Old Testament type of the kingdom of God. And they were living in the promised land, but it wasn't fully theirs yet. Well, that's our situation as well. We have been ushered into the kingdom of God, made citizens of the kingdom, but the, the kingdom isn't fully here yet, and we, are, we don't fully possess it yet, and so we still have uh, non-Christian neighbors, and we too need to be on guard against materialism and pluralism that led to uh, a generation, next generation, not knowing the Lord. But now we need to look at the failure of that next generation the succeeding generations, what was their failure? Well, their failure was worshiping other gods, worshiping the Canaanite gods, worshiping Baal, uh, Baalism. Uh, Baalism is uh, a nature religion. It uh, was found in many ancient uh, cultures, including the Canaanites. Uh, a nature religion means that nature is ultimate, and the forces of nature are considered to be gods and uh, the forces of nature are thought of as persons. You know, you have the, the sun god and the moon god and the, the, the rain god and the lightning god and the, the god of fertility and the, the earth goddess and uh, all these uh, different uh, forces of nature or elements of nature are personified and thought of as male and female deities. Nature was considered to have the power of life within itself, and when the forces of nature interacted with one another, uh, they produced life. Uh, when the storm god sent his energy to the earth god uh, in the form of rain and lightning, uh, the earth god produced animals and, and vegetation. Um, the fertility of livestock and the uh, abundance of the crops was dependent every year on the gods interacting with each other. And since the gods are depicted as uh, persons, the interaction between them is uh, depicted as sexual interaction with each other uh, because it's sexual interaction that uh, produces new life. Since uh, humans uh, are part of nature, uh, it was thought that humans could uh, participate in this and stimulate the forces of nature uh, through their own sexual activity, which led to uh, temple prostitution. Such activity was thought to uh, stimulate the gods into producing abundant livestock and abundant crops, and by engaging in ritual prostitution, they thought they could harness nature or manipulate nature and uh, make nature work for them. Uh, when God accused Israel of harlotry and whoring after other gods, he wasn't merely speaking metaphorically that he was their husband and they were his bride and serving other gods was a kind of spiritual adultery. He was also accusing them of being sexually immoral in these pagan temples. Uh, now, there is nothing new under the sun. 
Therefore, it should not surprise us that this ancient religion has a very modern form, even in our own culture. There are uh, many today who believe that nature is ultimate, nature is uh, all there is. Uh, the late astronomer Carl Sagan used to say, the cosmos is all that is, or was, or ever will be. The cosmos, that's it. Uh, that's what's ultimate, and he wrote cosmos with a capital C. He worked uh, Earth with a capital E because he, he thought of these as the, the ultimate realities. Uh, they were like gods to him. Uh, modern science also believes that the origin of life is contained uh, in nature and that life was produced by the forces of nature interacting with each other. Radiant energy from the sun or energy from the sky in the form of lightning, mutated atoms in the primordial slime and uh, to produce organic molecules that evolved into all the forms of life that we now see. And modern man also considers himself uh, uh, to be part of nature and to be able to try to uh, harness the forces of nature. Uh, modern man considers himself superior to the ancients because he doesn't physically bow down before images representing the forces of nature, but he still believes that he can harness those forces uh, and uh, manipulate them to his advantage and for his material happiness. You know, when the ancients bowed down before their gods, before their idols, they were not submitting to those gods. They were trying to influence the gods. They were trying to manipulate them. They were trying to bribe them and by, by honoring them and bringing gifts to, to make the gods do what they wanted them to do. They thought they could do that, that they were, they were the, the self-conscious part of nature that could manipulate the forces of nature to make those forces work for them. And uh, it is still true today that contemporary uh, philosophy believes that by uh, controlling nature through science, we can uh, cure all the ills uh, of society, disease, poverty, uh, end war, and uh, even control evolution by doing, uh, uh, adjusting our DNA and so forth. Others believe that the, the science of political philosophy is the key to improving our lives and that restructuring human society uh, differently will eliminate poverty and usher in a perfect world. Uh, those who have that idea usually look at socialism and communism as uh, uh, the means of accomplishing their uh, utopian plans. And uh, that requires, of course, the elimination of personal freedom and personal property and democracy and the rule of law, free enterprise, all that have to go to replace by uh, statism and collectivism and the dictatorship of an elite intellectuals and, and scientists and so forth. Others believe that by the power of the mind, you can create your own reality and become whatever you want to be. Since the forces of nature have the power to create life, and since you're part of nature, you have the power within yourself to uh, create your own life and uh, create what you want to be. Uh, the ancients had a materialistic view of the world where nature was ultimate, mankind was lord over the power of nature, and sex outside of marriage dominated the culture. And that's exactly the kind of world we live in. But it's all a lie. It's lie. It's, it's Satan's lies. The biblical the Bible shows that, that nature is not ultimate. Nature is the work of God. He created it. If uh, the universe is a box, God is outside of the box. Uh, he is 
supernature, a supernatural, which means above nature. And there is no power in nature that acts independently of God. He created all things, he upholds all things, he governs all things, and he does so directly through his word of power. God didn't uh, create nature and wind it up like a clock and let it run down. That's uh, uh, deism, that's not uh, biblical Christianity. Uh, The true God created human beings uniquely to know him, love him, and serve him, and, and live with him. Uh, you can't create yourself anew. Uh, he created you to be what you are, and uh, he is the one who has the power to uh, save us also from the sin in, into which we have fallen. Because Israel served the Baals, God was angry. Uh, we read several times in this passage, his anger was kindled against them. It was ignited. It, it burned against them like a, a burning fire. Our God is a consuming fire, says the New Testament. And when God is angry, uh, he, uh, he shows his anger. Uh, what was God's response to all this? Well, in his anger, he did things. And the first thing I want to mention is that he didn't break his covenant. Uh, The good news is he never abandoned his people. He never gave up on them. He never broke his covenant to them. Yes, he treated them harshly. Yes, he uh, oppressed them through uh, other people. But that was uh, tough love. It was a severe mercy. It was painful discipline. They deserved far worse for their sins. They deserved to be blotted out entirely as he had decreed concerning the Canaanites. But uh, he made it so that they could not stand up against their enemies. He let their enemies oppress them, and they then cried out for help. And when they cried out for help, he saved them. He left uh, the Canaanites in the land to uh, teach each generation and give each uh, generation opportunity to serve him with undivided heart. Uh, Each generation had to decide, are we going to serve the Lord? Or are we going to serve the Baals? Now we need to ask ourselves if our ineffectiveness in the world, the ineffectiveness and the weakness of the church in the world today, is it because we are not serving the Lord with our whole hearts and have gone after the gods of this world? Is God letting secular humanism dominate and uh, so that we can't stand up against it? Or... Uh, uh, Is uh, he doing that because uh, we have been unfaithful to him? How long will it take before we groan under oppression of persecution and cry out to God? When we do, he stands ready to forgive. That's the kind of God he is. He loves the world and he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. That's the message of hope. That's why the cycle repeated over and over again is because God never gave up. He continued to offer each generation the promises of the covenant and to call them to obey those promises and to live with him in fellowship. And that's the call to us as well. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this introduction, this second introduction to the book of Judges that Uh, shows us how the first generation uh, failed to uh, train up the next generation because they were too busy doing your work, uh, too busy uh, taking care of all that you had given them. 
And uh, as a result, the next generation didn't know you and went and served the Baals. We thank you that you didn't abandon them, but uh, came and uh, provoked them to uh, repent through uh, harsh treatment. We pray that we too may be uh, provoked to repent uh, by this knowledge that we would not have to suffer, but that uh, simply uh, reading this uh, will be sufficient warning to uh, help us to uh, serve you with undivided heart in gratitude for all that you have done for us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.